chains fall off so just lift your voice to him this morning because the praises the praises we want them to feel this place Give me eyes to see more of who you are. May what I behold steal my anxious heart. Take what I have known and break it all apart. Cause you, my God, are greater still. And no sky can take. No doubt restraints, all you are, the greatness of our God. I spend my life to know that I'm far from close to all you are, the greatness of our God. 
no doubt restraints how you are the greatness of our God I spend my God of the heavens, He's the God of the angels, and He created you and me. And as great as He is, He thinks the world of you. He thinks the world of you that He gave His only Son. How many of you want Jesus in your life now more than ever? You're hungry for more of you. Lord, it's our prayer. It's our prayer today that you would come. Come and have your way in our hearts and our lives. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Move in us this morning. As we worship you in this place all together. As we give you our hearts, we give you everything that's inside us. All that we have belongs to you, God. You are our creator. Only you, Jesus. Burn us with your fire. Burn us with your fire. Burn us with your flame, blazing like the sun, branded by your name, your presence I desire, longing for the day, when we'll see you face to face, your glory on display. Come if you remember singing with us, come Jesus, come Jesus, make ready a love that lasts eternally. Come Jesus, make steady our hearts to behold your glory. with your fire burn us with your flame blazing like the sun branded by your name your presence our desire longing for the day when we'll see you face to face your glory on display
you and to know you, God. So burn like the bright sun, burn brighter than the sun. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I'll sing that out right now. You sing brighter than the sun. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Oh, raise up your voice and sing, burn now. Burn brighter than the sun. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Jesus, burn brighter than the sun.
together as one body. Come on, just focus on your Lord. Just focus on your Lord. Father, we praise you. We declare that you are holy. We declare that you are high and lifted up above every circumstance, above every problem, over every emotional hurt, over every physical problem, oh, over everything that's been destroyed, everything that's been brought on. You are high. You are lifted up. You are holy. You are the Lord Most High. You are the Lord Most High. You are the Lion and you are the Lamb. You are the Great I Am. We worship you. We worship you this morning. We join with the host of angels and declare you are holy. 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 Lord Jesus, help us to get our eyes off ourselves long enough to get our eyes upon our King, upon our risen Savior, the one who was and is and will come, oh, the one that will redeem us and take us home one day. Help us keep our eyes upon you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessing unto your home. Hallelujah. In the presence of God, just a phenomenal, awesome thing this morning. Hallelujah. Give God a hand. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, good morning. And welcome to Word of Grace this morning. Before you sit down, come on, look around and greet somebody this morning. Shake somebody's hand. If you sit in the same spot every Sunday morning, reach out and shake somebody's different hand this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it awesome to be in the house of God this morning? Woohoo! Man, it's going to be a good Sunday. It's already been a good Sunday. Uh, Pastor Russell wanted to be here with us this morning, but he's on his way for a trip. He's going on vacation. How many of y'all believe he deserves a vacation? Yeah. 
And he gets to celebrate his birthday this week. We had his celebration here at the church Wednesday, but his actual birthday is this week. So if you happen to see him on Facebook or send him a message, let him know that you're thinking about him. But uh, his flight got changed this morning, so he had to fly out a little early. So we're going to be in prayer for him in just a bit. But uh, before we do that, I want to go over a couple quick announcements. We have prayer on Sunday mornings at 815. If you didn't know about it, it's 815 right in this far left classroom when you enter into the church. If you hadn't been a part of it, come be a part. We'll just meet for about a half an hour. We got donuts in there and hot coffee. You can sip on that, eat a donut or two, and uh, we'll get into some good intercession. Also, on Wednesday nights, we've got a Bible group called 360. They've been uh, studying the book of Ephesians. So if you want, ever want just a little bit more or wanted maybe a little more one-on-one interaction studying the Bible, come on a Wednesday night at 530. It's a great class. And then also, we got our bake sale going on in the foyer. Thank you for everybody that baked goods and uh, has, has brought donations this morning. Thank everybody in advance who will make a purchase on the way out. In fact, when you go out the doors, just grab something off the table and just whatever you feel like giving, you just put it in the basket, whatever, how little or how great, put it in there. It'll help the kids' conference coming up in a couple weeks. And then also we got a guest speaker coming this Wednesday, a special missionary guest, uh, Brother Steve Harrelson. So you want to be come at and come and be blessed on that this Wednesday night. Amen? If you got your Bible, some of you have them, some of you don't. If you have your phones, open up your YouVersion Bible app or whatever Bible app you got. It'll be in the book of Psalms chapter 139. Psalms 139. And it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. Aren't you thankful that God knows everything about you? Things that we don't even know about ourselves, he knows about us. Have you, ever, have you ever said something or did something and later you're like, man, where did that come from? I know I have. God says he knows that. He knows what's going to happen. It says, you know when I sit down and you know when I stand up. You know my very thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, and you see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. I know I'm thankful that he's with us when we're close. We can come to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. But I'm also thankful whenever we go on vacation, like pastors go. And and when you travel somewhere this summer, he's always with you. He never leaves you. You know what I'm going, and you say, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. How many of you thankfully knows what we're going to say? He's already got mercy prepared for when we say things we shouldn't say. Because we can't get them words back once we speak them. Thank God for mercy that's new every morning. In verse 5, it says, You go before me and follow me, and you place your hand of blessing on my head. And when I think of that, I get a vision of whenever, you know, your child's learning to walk or your child's learning to ride a bicycle and you're right there and you, you move obstacles out of the way so they don't trip and fall or maybe you're holding on to their hand as they're walking along or you're holding on their bicycle as they're riding. God's right there with us. And when it says that he places his hand of blessing on our head, I think of my granddaughter because I love her dearly. And I'm not going to pick her up and I'll kiss her. I can't kiss her enough, can't hug her enough, can't squeeze her enough. I believe that's our Father in heaven that grabs us and he blesses us that way. He's constantly thinking about us. In verse 7 of chapter 139, it says, I can't ever escape from your spirit. I can't ever imagine wanting to escape from God. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you were there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, you were there. He's constantly thinking about us. He's constantly giving us his undivided attention, whether we realize it or not. In verse 10, it says, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength 
will support me. I shared in the first service, I took my 14-year-old, or not 14-year-old, my goodness, we don't want to erase her yet, my 14-month-old granddaughter to Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, yeah, she, we don't want to age her quite that far yet. But we really were looking forward to bringing her to Chuck E. Cheese. I couldn't wait because it had been years since I brought my own kids. And we go in there, and I think she's going to have the time of her life. And before I can put her down, she grabbed my neck and dug her claws into my neck and squeezed. And the fingernails went down into the skin like a cat that you were about to put in a tub of water, you know. It just wouldn't let go. And then when the Chuck E. Cheese rat mouse came by and was coming to her, waving at her, she grabbed that much tighter. You know, and I believe that that's how God is for us. Sometimes we're a little reluctant to do things, and God says, okay, I got you. Don't worry. But she didn't stay on my neck the whole time, you know. She was a little overwhelmed at first, but as she got warmed up to it, we gradually put her down and put her in a little one-quarter ride or whatever little amusement park rides are, and she had fun. And before you knew it, before too long, she was running all over that place, and we couldn't keep up with her, you know, because she knew we were there. If we needed, she needed something, we were there, but she was going to have fun. But it just took her a little time. That's how God is with us. You know, sometimes we feel like God's right there. We can feel his presence. We feel his strong arms around us. And then there's other times we feel, man, where are you, God? God is saying he's right there. He's got an eye on you. Sort of like when you bring your kids to the playground and they go play and you're constantly looking, where's Johnny? Where's Jill? You know, where's Sarah? Whoever, you, whoever your kids are, you constantly got an eye on them. You don't have your hand on them per se, but you're right there and you can react at a moment's notice if you need to. God's always has us. In verse 139, verse 17 and 18, it says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. If you ever thought you could number them, you can. It says there is, they can outnumber the grains of sand on a beach. If you've ever been to a beach and you tried to count the sand, you'd be there for eternity. That's the kind of thoughts that God has towards us. And they're not thoughts of evil. If you look up in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says he thinks thoughts of peace and of good to give us a future and a hope. He has good thoughts about you. He doesn't think bad things about us. Sometimes we go through a troublesome week and we have problems and things we, we go through and we think, man, how could God ever think good about me? Well, he's constantly thinking good about you. And this morning, he wants to remind you that he loves you, that he has, he has a perfect plan and purpose for your life. You're here on, for a reason. You're here on purpose. And he thinks only lovely, good thoughts about you. And if it's not a good thought, you got to get it out. And in verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. All those anxious thoughts. Test me and know them. Point out anything in me that offends you. Point out anything in me that's not right, God. Any thought that's not right. Any idea that I have about you that's not right. Get it out of me, God. Anything. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Help me to put my attention on you, Lord, and lead me in the way that you will go. Amen. Aren't you thankful we serve a good God? He thinks only good about us, amen? For ushers, get come forward. We'll get ready to take up our morning offering, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray over our pastor, and we're going to pray over you guys. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just speak a blessing over our pastor as he gets ready to travel this morning. We ask you, Father, that you would protect his trip, protect his journey. We plead the blood of Jesus over him. We thank you for your angels to surround him. And, Father, we just speak a blessing over his entire trip. Let him come back refreshed, and we speak a blessing over your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside well, There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker 
that CD and I play it over and over again. I get on a motorcycle ride and put that on and just have to slow down a little bit so I don't get a ticket. Uh, it'll stir you up pretty good. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to get into a very simplistic message, but I believe it's the heart of what God wants to speak this morning. Uh, I'm not a very complicated person. I'm very simple-minded, and God knows that. And so when God speaks to me and I, and I get a hold of what God wants, like, yes, God, I understand. And this morning, we're going to be talking about looking out for others. Somebody say others. others. Have you ever used the word others? Of course you have. There's a few examples. Have you ever said there's a bunch of crazy drivers out there? You got to watch out for others. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy ones out there. We got to watch out for them. It's true. I've used that myself. How about this one? When your kids want to go somewhere, I'm not worried about you, dear. It's the others that concern me. You know, I trust you. I just don't trust the others. Or maybe your kids come to you and you say something like this. All oh, the others are going. Can I go too? The others. In fact, 
if you ever watched that TV show Lost, I know we, me and my kids, my youngest son just started it back up on Netflix. I watched it years ago and hated the way it ended, and I won't get into that. But uh, how many of y'all hated that? I didn't like the way they ended that thing at all. But anyway, as the, it's basically what it's about is it's about an airplane, and it crashes on a, on a tropical island, and they get out the plane, and they're surviving or whatnot. And then they realize there's other people living on the island, and they don't know who they are, so they refer to them as the others. And it creates fear. But really, an other is simply not me, but you. So you're an other. And if you look at your neighbor and say, you're an other. Because the neighbor, person beside you, that's an other. And if you look back this way, you can point at me and say, you're an other too. We're all others. We're in a world full of others. In fact, we're in a world full of about 7 billion or more others in our world. And we know that Jesus Christ came and died for every single one of them. And every single one of us were created unique and individual in God's image. Amen? In fact, if you look up that word uh, to look out for, it actually means to take aim at, to spy, to consider, to take heed, to look at, to mark, to look, and to watch. And this morning, you're going to see through this message that God's warning us to take aim at, to mark, to watch, and to spy out and look for others. Somebody shout out others. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus prays, I'm not praying for these alone, but also for future believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these. Jesus is praying for others. Now, this is the same time that Jesus is praying for himself because this, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying on the night that he's about to be betrayed by one of his disciples. He's about to be handed over where they mock him and ridicule him, and they curse him, and they beat him. They whip him. They pull out great big chunks of his beard and they spit upon him. And all the horrible things that he went through for you and I. And he's in the garden. And as he's praying for himself, he stops long enough to begin to pray for us. He prays for his disciples to be strengthened so they'll be one as he and the Father are one. And then he begins on to pray. I love it. I'm going to read it again real quick. It says, I'm not praying for these alone, but also for future believers. And that, right at that moment... On the night of his betrayal, he saw you, and he began to pray for you, and he began to pray for all those people that will ever exist on this earth. His life was for others. How many of you are married this morning? Anybody married? You know for sure that your life isn't just about you, but it's about others. It's about your wife. Wives, it's about your husbands. And if you got kids, you know your life really ain't about you no more. It's about your kids. In fact, I like what one man said, that his, he knew that he was going to be a good husband. You know, he, he found out he was going to have a baby, and he promised his wife. He said, you know what? I promise you, at 3 a.m. when that baby goes to crying, I'll keep that bed warm while you change his diapers. You know, <laughs> he was looking out for others, man. He was going to take care of his bride. But, you know, it, it's true. Whenever you have kids, your life isn't about you anymore. Even some of the movies you used to go see, now you're watching Disney movies. Maybe even some of the music you used to listen to, you're like, uh-uh, we're putting it on, the, on K-Love or the bridge. You know, I can't listen to that stuff no more. Some of that language I can't hear no more. I got a kid in the car, you know. And then when you have grandbabies, oh, boy, your life really is about others. All your money goes to them grandbabies. You can't get them enough, buy them enough. I know me and my wife, we can't go to the mall without going to that children's place and buying clothes, you know. She's got to hit the clearance rack, and a baby's got more clothes she knows what to do with. But it's about others. You know, even the things you eat. You used to go to certain restaurants when you got kids. Now you're going to Pizza Hut or you're going to McDonald's. Don't go there. It's nasty. But anyway, you're going somewhere that you may not want to go, but you're going where the kids can eat, you know. 
Uh, I remember when my kids were little, we, would, we used to go to the China Garden or whatever that place is across the street, which I don't go to anymore. But we would go there. My son never liked it. All he would eat was chicken nuggets. I paid $10 for Chinese food. and he Give me chicken nuggets. Like, boy, we'll feed you something on the way home, you know. But it's about other people. It's not about yourself anymore. In fact, selfishness, selfishness comes very, very easy, doesn't it? But selflessness is learned, and it's something that we have to discipline ourselves in. If you don't believe me, think about your child when they're about one and a half, two years old, and they get their favorite toy, and then somebody comes to the house and starts playing with it. The first thing they do is yank it and say, what? Mine. That's mine. And then you have to pop the hand, and you have to show them you got to share. you got to share your toys. Now, some kids do better than others, but everybody's a little selfish. It comes really easy to be selfish. When you wake up in the morning, what do you normally think about? What do I want to drink this morning? I want a cup of coffee. You know, what am I going to do this morning? How's my day going to go? But selflessness is learned. It's a discipline. We also have to learn. I love this quote. It says, people need to learn that their actions do affect other people. So be careful what you say and do. It's not always just about you. We've got to be careful what we say in front of our kids, our others, our immediate others, our wives, our children. If you're out there on the road and you're going a little too fast and a cop gives you a ticket and you're saying, thank you, officer, they close the door and say, that jerkity cop. <laughs> you know, I wish that cop would just would pass me by and get somebody else. And you start down, downgrading the cop. And you really don't mean it. You're just saying that out of aggravation. But your kids are in the back seat. Guess what type of idea they're going to have about police officers? Or you hear something in the news about the president or somebody in government, and you say, I just wish our gun, all they care about is taxing us and taking our money. They ain't good for nothing. And then your kids hear it, and guess what they think? Our government ain't good for nothing. We've got to be careful how we speak. We've got to be careful how we speak about family members. You might have a really annoying family member that you don't live with, but we've got to be careful what we say in front of our children and in front of those that we influence because we don't want to give them the wrong idea. We've got to be selfless, not selfish, in what we say and what we think. Our lives aren't simply about us, me, myself, and I, but others. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Jesus, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he didn't say, okay, let's pray like this, my Father. He said, let's pray, our Father. He included the Father with us. Aren't you thankful that we can call him our Father? The Bible says that his spirit lives on the inside of us as Christians where we call out Abba, Father, or Daddy God. What we have, what we say, what we do affects others. Now, this message this morning also is a message directed towards me because when you point a finger out, you got three more pointing back at you. And this is not me pointing a finger. This is simply me bringing forth the word that God's given this morning. So I take this word to heart too. And I love this scripture. It says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone wins, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. As athletes are disciplined in their training, they do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. How many of y'all are running a race to win? Amen? Y'all ready for an eternal prize? In verse 26, it says, So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. And in verse 27, this is the part I want to zoom in on. It says, I discipline my body like an athlete. I discipline my life, training it to do what I should. And otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. We all have to uh, make sure that we're disciplined in our own lives. I have to discipline my own life every single day uh, in my walk with Christ, before my wife, before my children, before my grandchildren. 
I have to put disciplines in place so I make sure that I'm practicing what I'm preaching, not just from the pulpit, but in Sunday morning with children's church on a day-to-day basis with other people. I want to make sure that I'm living a life that's pleasing unto God. Uh, one of the things that I do uh, for my family is on Wednesday nights, whenever we get finished here on a Wednesday, sometimes we don't leave till 930, even sometimes after 10 o'clock, it just depends. But when we get home, God has impressed on me to take that time and to impart into my teenage sons. I've got an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old, and for about the past year and a half, we've been meeting on Wednesday nights, and we'll, get, we'll hit the carpet in the living room, and we'll pull out our Bibles and our devotions. And sometimes it's not a real you know, big thing. It's not like a big theological discussion, but maybe something very simple. But it's a time where I've told my sons, you can be transparent right here. Anything you've done, it's a safe place. Let it out. Let's talk about it. Let's get through it. Dad's here. You know, you can tell me anything. I wish I could tell you they always told me everything. They don't. You know, I wish I could, I wish I could just read them like a book. And most of them I can read them pretty good, but there's things they don't tell me. But it's an opportune time to relate. They can relate to me. I can relate to them, and I can pour into their lives. I've went and purchased them certain books that I know would help them along the way through their teenage years. And they read it, and... I didn't really want to read it too much, but I read it anyway so I could discuss it with them and we could interact with one another because God put my sons in my life for a short time as as teenagers, you know, before they become men. And I want to make sure that the men of God that he's called them to be. It's not about what I want them to be. It's about what what Heavenly Father wants them to be. So I've taken that time and disciplined it to pour into their lives. Where a lot of times I'd I'd rather just go home and go to bed or eat a peanut butter sandwich and hit the sack, you know, whatever. I take that time to, to minister to them. With my little granddaughter, I love her to death. And she'll come to the house, we'll put Barney on, and we'll start singing, you know, the wheels on the bus go round and round. And then songs get annoying after a while, but I do it because I love her. But I also, I don't just let it be a fun time. I take it where I'll, I'll start singing her Christian song. There's not, any, there's not any on the Netflix, you know. There's nothing that we have there. So I'll just take that time and start singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Oh, the Bible tells me so, and Jesus loves uh, all the children of the world, and I'll just start singing to her and giving her those spiritual songs, and I'll begin to put her name into the song because I want that song into her life at a young age, you know, where she gives her life to Jesus at a tender young age. So I want to make every, the most of every opportune time that I have with her. So that's a discipline I put in my life. I don't just, well, go play with the toys. I'll play with them. When I'm tired, well, you know, we'll do something else. I take that time to invest into her life. And then there's something else I have to do because I'm a very task-oriented person. When I get to work on a Tuesday morning, I'll make me one list on a sticky note. And the very first thing that it says is make a list for the week. So I'll make another list. And I'll have another sticky note with another list. I'll make all kind of lists because I feel like when I cross something off my list, I've accomplished something. Anybody like that? You like to cross off things. You feel accomplished. Well, one of the things I had to teach myself and it's learned because what selfishness comes easy, selflessness is learned and disciplined. I had to put some things on my wall, on a sticky note, right next to my phone at my desk to remind myself that life isn't about task, life is about people. And I know that, but I got to remind myself sometimes so I can say the list can wait. When I pick up the phone to talk to somebody or somebody picks up the phone to call me or I minister to somebody on the phone or whatever's going on. And here's four things that I put on a sticky note to help me. Do not hurry. In other words, don't hurry up so you can get to the next thing. Take your time. Others, come first. Lord, let my speech be seasoned with salt. I have the tongue of the learned. And those four things on my phone for the past few years has just helped me, I believe, to be a better person out there to put others first because it doesn't come natural. It doesn't come natural to any of us. Loving God 
comes pretty natural. When we get saved, we want to love God, but sometimes it's hard to love other people. Some people are easy to love. Some people aren't so easy to love. It's just we live in a world full of all kind of others. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. You know, Jesus lived his life for other people. He didn't live his life for himself. In fact, he says he only did what pleased his Father. He poured himself out for us. He gave his all for us. And sometimes in the gospel, we can see where he was preaching and teaching multitudes. And other times, we can see where he's talking to people one-on-one. And I love those stories. In fact, in Luke 4.43, he was talking to his disciples one day, and he said, People in other towns must hear the good news about the kingdom. That's why I was sent. He didn't just stay in one place and say, Everybody come to me and I'll teach you, but I'm not going to you. He went out and he looked for the others that needed to hear him. Sometimes it was a bunch of them at once, and other times it was a six-hour trip to speak to one individual, like this lady at the well. Y'all know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus was on his way from Judea to Galilee, and he had to pass through the village of Samaria. And as he was going through Samaria, about six hours into his walking trip, because he didn't have a donkey to ride on or a horse or didn't have a go-kart, he didn't have anything to ride on, he was walking, so he was probably pretty tired after about six hours. I know I would be in the heat. And he stopped at a certain well in a village of Samaria in a town called Sukkar. And as he sat down, the Bible doesn't go into a whole lot here. It just says that he was weary. And I'm pretty sure he was thirsty and he was hungry because as he sat down, the disciples hot-tailed it to the town to go get some food to eat lunch. They were hungry. But Jesus stayed at the well. Now, there's a reason he stayed at the well because he knew that he was about to come in contact with a young woman that needed his attention, an other. He could have just went on by. He could have went with the disciples and eat lunch, but he stayed right there at the well. As he sat down, he probably rested his feet, pulled off his sandals, knocked off the sand and the dirt, you know, and just rested a while. And along that time, as he's resting from his weariness, from his travels, here comes this woman, a Samaritan woman. And she has her pitcher ready to drop down into this deep well that's been there for ages. In fact, it was given to to Jacob. And she gets ready to dip her water into, into the well, and Jesus looks at her and says, please give me a drink of water. She looks at him like, shh. Who are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman and you're a Jew. Now, if you didn't know already, during this time, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they didn't talk to each other. They didn't get along. In fact, the Jewish people would refer to the Samaritans as dogs. They didn't have any dealings with them. So the Samaritan woman said, Who are you, a Jew, talking to me, asking to give you some water? Jesus could have quit right there and said, Oh, don't worry about it. I had something for you, but you're going to be like that? Forget it. You know, he could have went on about his business. But he didn't. He said, ma'am, if you knew who it was that was asking you for water and the gift that you could could receive today, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. So instead of her just saying right there, okay, give me some of that, she says, how are you going to do that? You ain't got a bucket to dip with and you ain't no better than our ancestor Jacob. And Jesus looked at her, square in the eyes and said, hey, if you drink this water, everybody that drinks this water is going to get thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give, it'll spring up a fountain of living water within. You'll have eternal life, and you'll never thirst again. 
it began to do a work on the inside of her. Her head and her spirit started to kind of conflict, you know. The Bible says that those forces are constantly opposing one another. One part of her sitting there thinking, who are you? And the other part is saying, well, maybe you got something I need. I don't know. And she's back and forth wrestling with this. So she said, she finally said, well, give me some of that. If you've got living water, I'll take it. I don't want to come back and dip this water no more. And he said, okay, I tell you what, go get your husband. Uh-oh. She puts her head down. I ain't got a husband. Jesus looked her, already knows everything. That's right. You ain't got a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one man you're living right now, he ain't your husband at all. So instead of her saying, oh, I've been found out, she just dismissed it. Oh, you must be a prophet then. I see that you're a prophet. So please tell me, how come you, Jesus goes back to that, that mindset again in her thoughts, you know, I'm going to defend myself. How come you Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but we believe we're supposed to worship on this mountain here? Then Jesus hits it right where it needs to be hit, right in her spirit. And he says, I tell you the truth, the time is right now at hand where the people that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. What they know and what they know is true in their spirit. They must worship him in spirit and in truth. She starts to understand a little bit. She says, wow, this is starting to make a little sense. But I don't know if that's true or not, and I don't know who you are, but I do know that one day, Jewish man... That there's going to be a guy come, he's the Messiah, the anointed one. And he's going to show us everything in the way to live. Jesus just stops right there and says, hey, lady, I am he. Boom, her eyes are open. She drops her water jug, which is her way of income, and bringing stuff to her family. And she hightails it back to the Samaritan town. Along that way, as she's dropping the thing, here come back the disciples getting, after getting some food. They see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, this dog in their eyes, this person that's filthy and they shouldn't talk to. But the Bible says not one of them said a word, though they were thanking it. And one translation says that their face showed it. Have you ever had a problem with, you don't have a problem maybe speaking something, but you have a problem revealing it with your face? I've had my wife tell before, if, you're, if you're looks, your looks could kill somebody sometimes, you know, that the way you look at somebody, when you look at your kids a certain way. You ever been somewhere with your kids and they act up and you just give them that look and they know they're getting it when they get home? Even though you didn't say it, they just know that it's coming, you know? If looks could kill, sometimes that's needed. But there's other times when we're in a situation around a lot of other people we got to get our face and put our face right before God. It needs to be redeemed because our face is connected with our thoughts, isn't it? What we think a lot of times comes right on our face. And even though we don't say it, we've thought it, and that's just as bad. So we need to get that under control. Amen? So the disciples come back. The woman leaves, and look what the woman does. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. She didn't go back and just talk to her man. She went back and talked to everyone in the town of Sukkor. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for? So the people came streaming from all over the village to see Jesus. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see Jesus, they begged him to stay in their village. So Jesus stayed two more days, long enough for many more believers to hear him. Many times, more, more, more Samaritans to believe on his message and to believe that he was who he says he was. Because of one woman's witness, revival broke out in that town. Because Jesus went out for the one other, that one other went out, and she spread the message to others. Maybe people that didn't like her, maybe people that put their nose up in the air and said, you're a no-good harlot living with a man over there. You ain't even married. You ain't good for nothing. She took the time to go and speak 
because she knew that something was about to happen. She knew something was happening in her. I believe at that moment, that, that river of living water that Jesus was telling her, I believe it just got uncapsized, and I believe it began to spring up on the inside, and that life began to spring out, and she was so full of new life, she had to spread that message. It was a chain reaction like dominoes that took place. She boldly spoke for Christ. What about you guys? What about me? When we go on vacation this summer, when we take travels and we take a trip, and we're out there fueling up our vehicle at the gas station on our way to Disney World or on our way to, to Alabama or wherever we travel, even today on the way to a restaurant, and you stop. And the Holy Spirit is telling you on the inside, you need to speak to this person at the gas pump. Or maybe you're in there and you're getting your bag of Cheetos and Dr. Pepper and Snicker bar at, the, at your convenience store, and you go up to the counter like, ooh, I can't wait to get to, to, uh, to the beach. And there's somebody behind that counter and they're sick. Or you see them with a skin disease. Or you feel like you should pray for them. Do you take the time to pray for them right then and there? Or do you think, I'll just pray for them in the car if you feel prompted in your spirit. The Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what he's looking for. Or maybe you're at your Starbucks and you're in, you're in line for your caramel macchiata or whatever you drink. And you're in line and there's a bunch of people in front of you. You've been waited 10 minutes. And if anybody's ever been to Starbucks and waited that long, you know you can't wait to get that coffee when they call your name out, right? You get your coffee and God says, I want you to give it to the man over there behind you. This is my coffee. <laughs> do you do it? Or do you say, ah, I don't have time for this, God. That couldn't be you. You wouldn't have me give my coffee away. Not my coffee. It's got my name right there on the cup. See, God? <laughs> it's mine. But when God speaks, we've got to be obedient. You could just think, I don't have time for this. But God wants us to take time for the other. In Proverbs 15, 23, it says, the right word at the right time is beautiful. Maybe it's as simple as telling that person, you know what? Jesus loves you. Maybe it's something more. Maybe God will give you a word of knowledge, and, and you tell them that, ma'am, I, I know there's somebody sick in your family, but God wants you to know that he's going to heal them. Or, ma'am, I, I can see that you're struggling. God's speaking to me and told me that, you know, I know you've got somebody that's in, in jail or somebody's hurting, and she goes, yeah, my son's in jail. Ma'am, can I pray for him? And you grab him by the hand and pray for him right there. Who knows? It could be something very simple. It could be something as simple as pumping somebody's gas right next to you. And while you're pumping your gas on your trip, there's a little old lady over there pumping her gas, and she's having a hard time. Stop with your gas. Don't pump your gas first and then go. Stop what you're doing and go pump hers. Maybe even pay for it if God's leading you to. Be insensitive to the Holy Spirit, looking out for others, doing what he's called us to do. In Proverbs 25, 11, it says, The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. And I love this one. In Proverbs eleven twenty five. it says, The generous will prosper. How many of y'all want to prosper this morning? I know I want to prosper. I want to prosper in every area of my life. It says, Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And I know Miss, I wanted to give this example too. I gave it in the first service. We got Miss Fran Rogers in here, and she picks up the, uh, some people for church in the church van. And I know a couple Sundays ago, the church van wasn't available, and she didn't realize it. And she got here and says, ooh, I've got all these people I need to get to church. I just invited them. I've got to find a way to get them here. But all I've got is my little car. She goes, I guess I'm just going to have to stack them up in that car and get them here. I've got to have them here, you know. Her life was for others. In fact, she told me this morning, she said, well, if you share my story again, please mention that if anybody needs a lift for church or you know somebody, to please let Rosalind know. And she loves to take that van and fill it up and bring people here. That's a life for others. I like this quote. It says, life isn't about finding yourself. It's about discovering 
who God created you to be. You know, we're already found. We've already, we've already been, I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know, I was blind, but now I see. God's found us. We're delivered. And the only way to find out who you're called to be is to get into the Word, like you're doing coming to church, hearing the Word, digging into the Word and praying and seeking God. He wants you to be who you're created to be. He created you on purpose and for a purpose. Amen? In Matthew 22, verses 37, it says, Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and most important commandment. The second most important commandment is like this one. It is love others as much as you love yourself. All the law of Moses and the book of prophets are based on these two commandments. God wants to love him and to love others. And sometimes it's easy to love God, but it's hard to love some people. You know, going back to what I was saying, if God shows you to do something, he says that he wants you to be obedient. He wants us to be spirit-led and then be obedient to what he's leading us to do. It's one thing to hear something from God. Ooh, I feel like God's telling me to do this. It's another thing to hear it and then act on it. He wants to be spirit-led and then be obedient. In 1 John 4, 9 to 4, 4, 19, it summarizes what Jesus says. We love each other because he loved us first. In 421, the commandment that God gives is simple. Love God and love each other. Somebody say, love God and love others. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. And I love this quote. It says, never look down on anybody unless you're helping them up. We ain't got no right to stick our nose in the air and look down on somebody else. We're all created equal in the eyes of God. You know, some of us have, have got better lives than others, it seems like, but you never know what somebody else needs. We got to be on the lookout for other people. These are God's children. Even people that you may never, ever, ever, ever see again until eternity. You'll never know the life that could be changed by one person's life that you've affected, by one word spoken, by one prayer prayed, one dollar given, one thing done for another. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a man robbed and beaten left naked and for dead in the middle of the road. And along came beside him was a Pharisee and a Levite. And the Bible says that they went by him and they just totally ignored him. They looked at him and looked the other way. One of them looked and looked the other way. One of them saw him out the corner of their eye. And he said, I don't see nothing, I don't see nothing, I don't see nothing, I don't see nothing. They don't exist. And they kept on going. And these were two people that knew the Word of God, people that knew the law. They knew they were to love God first. They knew they were to love other people, love thy neighbor. But they knew it in their head and not in their hearts. They didn't have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. And they were disobedient. They walked the other way. But thank God that wasn't the end of the story. We know that the man did stop by, and they picked up the man that was wounded, and they bandages his wounds, and they put clothes on him. And then he takes him and puts him on an animal, his donkey or his horse or whatever, and he brings him to a place so he can have a full recovery. And then he goes to the person taking, other person that he hired to take care of him and say, here, I'll pay his bill in full. Whatever it is, I'll pay for it, whatever he needs. Don't skimp on anything. Give him everything he needs. Feed him, give him, the, give him the, uh, the, the best care he needs. Whatever it is, I'll take care of it. And the man that did it was a Samaritan, a Samaritan doing it to a Jewish man. And I've already said that Jewish people, Samaritans, didn't get along. The Samaritan man had been called a dog by Jewish people his whole life, but yet he's reaching out to a man that looked down on him and called him dirty names. Maybe this Samaritan just could have been one of the men that got saved from the testimony of that Samaritan woman. I'm not saying that happened that way, but it's very possible it could have happened that way. And because he was now full of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, he reaches out 
and helps out another person in need. Thank God he did it. You know, God tells us that in these last days that the love of many will grow cold. But God wants us to have compassion in a heartless world. There's a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of bad things that go on. We see it every day on the news. We, I bet you every one of us could share a story of something bad that's happened to us or our children. Something that's happened that we've seen with our own eyes. But God doesn't want us to be like the world. The Bible says we live in the world, but we are not of this world. We have the spirit of the living God on the inside of us. He wants us to be compassionate in this heartless world. I love what Martin Luther King says. He says, the first question which the priest Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Selfish. But the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Selfless. You all know the golden rule. We speak it to our kids. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Notice it. Don't say, do to others what they did to you. They get me, I'm going to get them. It says, do to others as you would have them do to you. I'm sure that Samaritan man could have called him a dog. You're a dog. You're laying in the street. You're the one out there filthy. You're the dog. He didn't do that. He reached out. He treated him as he wanted to be treated. In Galatians 6, 3, I love this scripture. It says, stoop down and reach out for those who are oppressed and share their burdens and so complete Christ's law, which was love God and love others. If you think you're too good for that, you were badly deceived. And I like that one because I see it in action. You know, that's, a, that's what that Samaritan did. He stooped down and then he reached out. Now, you know what? I, he probably got dirty. He might have been in his finest clothes. That may be why the Pharisee and the Levite didn't want to stop. They had their nice pretty robes. Maybe they'll get their clothes dirty. I'm sure this Samaritan got dirty. He might have got a little blood on his clothes because the man was beaten up and cut up, tore up. He might have got full of, he might have been already clean dressed, cologne on, deodorant on, ready to go to a party or something. And he gave up his animal and he got soaking wet, sweaty to help out somebody else. We've got to take it long enough look at ourselves to realize that there's other people out there too. Our life isn't just about us. God takes care of us. And how do you know that if God didn't take care of you at this point in your life so you could take what you have and reach out to help somebody else? I love this scripture because I love, it hits home. It hits me in the heart. I don't know if it hits you there, but it hits, it hits pretty deep. It cuts. It says, if you think you are too good for that, you were badly deceived. If you ever said, eh, that's somebody else's job. I ain't got no time for that stuff. Let's make it something real simple. Maybe you're somewhere and there's something on some trash on the floor or something. And you know what needs to be picked up. Do you get down and pick it up? Eh, janitor will take care of that, you know. Could be something very simple. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. The pastor's been teaching on the lion of the tribe of Judah and us letting the lion arise and come forth and making us strong. I love this quote because it says, strong people don't put others down. They lift them up. God wants to offer our hand and then our judgment towards people. It's easy to, to criticize. It's easy to put people down and try to accuse people while they're going through what they're going through. It's another thing altogether to take our hands instead of pointing and put the hand out this way and help and bring them up. God doesn't want us to look down. and doesn't want us to offer judgment. And you all remember the story of the man who had a legion of demons one translation says he was a, it was like a mad riot of demons on the inside of him. 
Jesus went after that one man that was full of demons. In fact, if you go to the scripture in Mark chapter 1, you don't have to turn here. If you want to write it down, that's fine. But in Mark chapter 1, you see where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. And he goes to the area of the Gardensians. And as he hits the shore, here comes this demon-possessed man running up to the boat. He hits his knees, and the demons begin to cry out unto him and say, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what are you going to do with us? And this demon-possessed man had been living in the cemetery, had been living in the mountains and cutting himself, crying out for relief. The Bible says that they tried to tie him up and the ropes couldn't hold him. They chained him up and the chains couldn't hold him. He, he had so much strength on the inside from these demons, but he was miserable on the inside. No one tried to lift a hand to help him. But Jesus got in a boat and traveled to where he was. The Bible says he cast the devils out of him, this whole mad riot of demons, and cast them out. And the man was put in his right mind. They put clothes on him. I'm sure they fed him. They took care of him. And look what happened. Jesus took care of him. And as soon as he got finished taking care of this one man that nobody else had anything to do with, it says Jesus got into the boat. The demon-delivered man begged to go along with Jesus, but Jesus wouldn't let him. Jesus said, go home to your own people, the same people that tied you up, chained you up, and didn't have anything to do with you. Tell them your story, what the master did, and how he had mercy on you. So the man went back and began to preach. He was led by God. He was told what to do, and he was obedient. And he began to preach in the ten towns area where Jesus had went and told him what Jesus had done for him. And he was the talk of the town. The easy-to-read version says, that the man left the people and told the people in the ten towns about the great things Jesus did for him, and everyone was amazed. What if he would have simply said, I don't have time to tell them. They didn't have any time for me. They tied me up, chained me up. I was living in the cemetery. Ain't nobody brought me no food. Nobody took care of me. They were just scared of me. I don't have time to tell anybody. Besides, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say anyway. But thank God he was obedient, and he went to his town, and he began to tell them about all the great things God had done. And lives were changed because Jesus reached out to him. You know, I like this quote too. It says, we rise by lifting other people. In Matthew 25, 40, it says, the king or God will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did it to one of these things, to someone overlooked or ignored, like that man full of demons, someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. You know, we live in a world full of evil. You never know if we got an ISIS agent living right here in Louisiana. You never know if we've got some terrorist living in our neighborhood or walking in the mall. We need to be looking out for others. You never know that might be the person that God's having you to give a word to. Somebody that might have a bunch of mad demons on the inside like a mad riot. But if you're giving them the word and sharing the gospel with them, their life could be changed, which might affect thousands of others. We've got to be sensitive to the power of the Holy Spirit. I stole this from Miss Mandy Smallwood. Are you here, Miss Mandy? Miss Mandy's here or not? I don't see you. She put this on Facebook, and I thought it fit perfect with today's message. She wrote, Today, while the kids and I were sitting outside at a little table downtown eating our pizza, a homeless man approached us. He was very polite and didn't ask for any money, but he asked if we had any leftovers because he was very hungry. I handed him our last three slices of pizza, and he thanked me over and over again, and continued on his way looking through trash cans along the road. I told him we would pray for him, and we did. And we will continue to pray for this man and all the other homeless people that were sitting around the same area too. 
After he was out of sight, Titan, my son, asked me, Mom, do you know why that man asked us for some food? Was it because he didn't have enough money? He said, yeah, I told him that was right. And we should always help people because when we are able to help, Jesus likes it and he wants us to be helpers. Titan replied back to me, I always want to make God happy, Mom, because he likes it when we're good to people. Out of the mouths of children, setting the right example for our kids. You know, you are somebody's hope. I read a story on Facebook too. A lot of you, maybe you were circulating it around. I read it and it kind of stuck also. It was about a junior high kid that was get, coming home from school. And as he was on his way home from school, he saw another junior high kid and he had a big old stack of books. And as he's walking home on a Friday afternoon, he's thinking, why has that kid got all those books going home? He must be a nerd, you know? I'm going home. I got a party to go to. I got girls to see. I got friends to hang out with. I can't wait for the weekend. Well, as he kept noticing that guy over there, he noticed some other bullies came by, knocked the books out of his hand. His glasses went flying off his face. And that kid had two choices. He could have said, oh, not my problem. Hope he gets his books put back together. Or he could go help him. He decided to do the second. He went up to him, helped him get his books together, got his glasses and handed them to him and said, man, forget them other guys. They're just a bunch of jerks. Come hang out with me today. They became best friends and went through all of high school together. And it wasn't until his senior and while well, they were seniors in high school at the commencement speech of the graduation that that friend, a little nerdy kid, took the pulpit or took the platform to give his commencement speech. And he told everybody that day that his life was changed from that one kid that reached out to him. He had taken all them books home that day to go home and kill himself, to end his life. And he took the books home so his mama didn't have to go into the locker and clean it out. But because one kid took the opportunity to say something simple like, hey, those guys are jerks. Hang with me. A life was changed. Future lives were changed. I'm here to tell you today that God's hope of glory on the inside of you is the hope for others. You are somebody's hope. I think of Mr. Bill Wilson, a pastor of one of the largest Sunday schools ever. And he put, to the world you may be one person, but to one person you may be the world. And Pastor Bill Wilson, I've had the privilege of meeting him and going to Brooklyn and seeing the large Sunday school program they run out there in that area. But what you may not know about him, or maybe you do, is that he was abandoned on a street corner at 12 years old. Pastor Bill Wilson waited for his mom to come back and get him for three days, but she never came back. But a Christian man on his way to the hospital to see his own sick son stopped by and fed Bill Wilson. In fact, he took the time to go ahead and pay for his summer camp money and sent him off to a Christian summer camp where Bill Wilson got, gave his life to the Lord. His life was forever changed. And then later, through a series of events, he formed the largest Sunday school program around. He reaches out to over 150,000 kids a week globally, all because one Christian man, on his own way, on a good errand to go see his own sick kid in the hospital, took time to stop. He noticed Bill Wilson fed him and paid for his trip to a summer camp and all the lives that have been affected since. I believe that his quote would be this. I believe I'm here for a reason, and my purpose is greater than my challenges. Bill Wilson's been through a whole lot. He's been stabbed. He's been shot. He's been in Brooklyn where the people dropped the whole bucket of bricks on top of his head. One time he was out there taking a picture of the, uh, after 9-11, he was taking a picture of where the buildings were. 
And somebody came behind him and mugged him and put a gun up in his mouth or under his chin and shot, pulled the trigger, blew half his face off. He could have called it quits right there, but he kept going. My purpose, it's greater than my challenges. And GT Kids Minister here at church, we, I get to oversee that program, and I love it. I love what I do every day. I thank God that I've been called to do this. And uh, with that GT, a lot of times people ask, what does it stand for? It stands for Grace Town Kids or Grace Trained Kids. For our motto is training and equipping kids for Jesus. And we don't get them very much. We get them just about, about an hour on a Sunday morning when they come. You know, we, I wish I could say we had the same amount of kids every Sunday. We don't because if parents don't come, kids don't come. You know, they're dependent on you guys to bring them. Thank you for bringing your children to Children's Church. Uh, we pour everything we can into these kids because we believe it's a lot easier to, to raise them up the right way than to try to repair them when they're grown men and grown women. Amen? But we got an event coming up in July. It's called Prime. And it's a big kids' conference. It's like what we do for VBS, but we do it a little different. We bring all the kids into the sanctuary. We take all these chairs you see. They'll be out of here. We'll throw candy at them. We'll throw, you know, toys at them. And we'll, we're going to do all kind of crazy events. We'll have big, huge beach balls flying around and loud music and rap music and rock music and worship. And then we're going to preach a good word. And there's a lot of crazy stuff. We're going to have snow cones and water slides, all the fun stuff for the kids. But we do all that. Because it's about changing their lives. It's about kids coming to the altar and surrendering their lives to Jesus. It's about getting them spiritually ready for school. And one of the reasons we push it all the way to the end of July is because we're not trying to compete with other churches with VBSs. We're here to get our kids on fire for God so when school starts this season that they're spiritually ready to come against all the obstacles that are going to come their way. So we get them ready. We have an opportunity to baptize them and those that want to tell others that they want to live their lives for Christ always and forever. And they, they get baptized right out here in our water fountain because our life isn't about ourselves, it's about others. How many of you have ever been told that you got to look out for yourself because ain't nobody looking out for you? That's what we've been taught. And I like to follow what Yoda said from Star Wars, if you have any Star Wars fans in here. You must unlearn what you've learned. Sometimes we got to retrain the way we think. In a biblical way. Because the Word of God says that our minds renewed by the Word of God. To quote somebody more famous. Only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. Albert Einstein said that. And I like what Billy Graham said. God's given you two hands. One to receive with and the other to give with. You know, a lot of us know who Billy Graham is. But do we know the chain of events that led to his salvation? And I ran across this article, and I'd like to read it to you. As of 2008, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience included radio and television broadcasts. It topped over 2.2 billion people. That means approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But Billy Graham, he shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. But do you know who shared the gospel with him? It actually is a, excuse me, it's actually a series of events that's been traced back over the years, and it starts with one volunteer Sunday school teacher, one volunteer Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for his hyper boys in his, in his class, but he also sought to win each one to the Lord personally. He decided he would intention, be intentional with every single last one of these kids. Surely he thought about throwing in the towel. If you ever taught Bible or children's church, you know it's awesome like, herding up wild cats. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was. So Kimball, this one Sunday school teacher, 
went to the shoe store where this man was stocking the shelves. The little boy was stocking the shelves. And he confronted him as he was stocking. And he began to tell him about the life of Jesus Christ. This young man was Dwight L. Moody. He gave his life to Jesus that day. He held on to what the gospel says. That day he believed the gospel, received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In his lifetime, Dwight L. Moody touched two continents for God with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. And then J. J. Wilbur Chapman was converted at a Dwight L. Moody evangelistical meeting. Next, Billy Sunday was converted at a Chapman meeting. And Mordecai Ham was converted at a Billy Sunday meeting. And years later, Billy Graham was converted at a Ham meeting. But this fascinating chain of events was triggered by one Sunday school teacher's concern for a boy. If you're like most people, it goes on to say, you've served in some capacity and never wondered at times. Maybe things you've done for an individual person, you've wondered at times, if what I'm doing really make a difference. If I really talk to this person today, is it really going to make a difference in their life? If this man right here, Edward Kimball, didn't take the time to search out that kid in the shoe store, we might never had Billy Graham. There have been a lot of lives that would have never been affected because one person reached out to another, constantly looking out not for themselves, but looking out for others. You know, you can count the apples on a tree, but only God knows how many apples are in a single seed. You may think it's just one person, but how many other lives have been affected because of that one person? And I love what God promises here in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has given each of you a gift. Say this with me. Say, God has given me a gift. Help me, Lord, to use it well to serve others. If we do that, we'll in a sense pay it forward, and the lives we affect will affect others' lives, and it'll become a chain reaction, and our area of influence will grow exponentially. I love what President Ronald Reagan said. He says, we can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone because one kind word can change someone's entire day. You think back of a couple of things I shared today. Let them sink in. Some things were right there in the Word of God. Some things were things that happened that could have happened right here in Louisiana. Be the reason somebody smiles today. Let that face be redeemed. When you feel like grumping, put the smile on and smile at somebody. Give them a kind word. Be the light that helps other people see. Amen? If we could, go ahead and stand on your feet this morning. Because you were somebody's hope. If you would, just bow your heads with me and let me pray over you. Father, this morning we just come to you. We, we, we worship you. We thank you, Father, for, for your living word. We, we thank you for everything you've done for us, God. Father, we thank you that we can wake up in the morning, Father God, with hope, knowing that you gave your all for us. And then, Father God, we can meet the morning and the day unafraid of where we would spend eternity, Father God, if we would breathe our last. But, Father, I thank you also that you didn't tell us just to love you alone, but you told us to love others too. And, Father, we thank you for every single person that is in this place today. And, Father, you are stirring us up on the inside to love you and to love others. And I praise you, God, after today, Lord, that you would cause us not to be so reflective of ourselves, but to be looking out to aim at and to mark and to spy out other people. Before we dismiss this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, if there's anyone here this morning, and maybe you used to live for Christ, you used to live for God, you're not living today, 
And this message has struck home because you're saying, I need to surrender because I don't know what my tomorrow will be like without Jesus. I need to give my heart over to Jesus. I need to recommit my life to Jesus. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, if you just slip your hand up quickly where you are and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody at all, if that's you, don't let the Spirit of God, don't quench what the Spirit of God's doing on the inside this morning. I'm not even going to call you to the front. But if that's you, just raise your hands. I want to pray over you. If you're there again, you need to raise your hand, raise it up. Raise it up, surrender it to God. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. You put your hand down. Lord bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, right now, I surrender fresh and new my life to you. I believe and confess that you, Jesus, died for me, were buried, and came back to life. And you're in heaven praying for me today. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Give me a love for you and give me a strong love for others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, y'all go out looking for others today. Amen. We're going to have service this Wednesday. Don't forget, we've got a spe- before anybody goes anywhere, we've got a special service this Wednesday. We've got Brother Steve Harrelson coming, so you don't want to miss that as Brother Cody comes and dismisses us in prayer. Some awesome. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this word. God, we thank you that that when Jesus came, he didn't just tell us some hollow words, but that he lived the life of the very words that he preached. So, Father, I just pray that we would go now and that we would do the same things that Jesus has done before us. God, that we would live out the words that you have spoken to us, that we would live a life of love. Father, I just pray that right now that we would take the blinders off where we say, as long as nobody messes with me, I'm not going to mess with anybody else. Father, I just pray that right now that you would just take those blinders off of us so that we can see the world around us, that we can see all those people that need to hear about Jesus, that need just a little bit of love in their life. Because we never know what one word may do to change, change someone's life. So, Father, we thank you. And we thank you that you were the perfect example of what love is. God, we just love you and we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Y'all have a great week. Perfection stepped from the grave